Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We're going to be in uh, Genesis 16, and we're going to start in verse 7 this morning and read till the end of the chapter. So let's pray. Father, we come to you now because this is your book. Lord, we depend on your spirit to teach us. We are your children. We give ourselves to you this morning and want to hear from our God. So speak to our hearts as we open your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 16, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the name was called Birlah Haroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. All right, now. In our last study, you remember how we started to learn about God in a very particular way and how his dealings were with Hagar. That's the real value of this passage here is, of course, it's valuable to learn about Hagar and her situation, but it's really more valuable for us, and we have this great interest to learn about God and how he dealt with Hagar. So we looked at verse 7, and by the time we walked away from verse 7, there was one word that was very, very important, and of course, you all remember that word, don't you? (laughs) It's the word found, right? Because when we read those words and the angel of the Lord found her, we understood how much God is a seeker. He seeks. That's why she was found, because he was looking for her. And when we saw that word found, we understood that God found Hagar because God was looking for Hagar. And from that knowledge, we understood how God found each one of us because God was looking for each one of us. As a matter of fact, that one word found states the uniqueness of a great truth. And the great truth is, the word found here, verse 7, shows that great truth that God seeks for man and God finds man. The word found in verse 7 shows this great truth that God reaches down from heaven to save sinful man. That's why this word is so important, found in verse 7, because it shows the great truth that God came down from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's a great truth. That's a great truth in verse 7, because what that great truth that's all brought out in that word found, what it does is it exposes the great lies. 
See, the word found in verse 7 exposes the great lie that man somehow seeks for God. That's a lie. The word found in verse 7 exposes the great lie that man reaches up to heaven, to God. That's why Paul said, who can reach up and bring Christ down? No one can. So the word found in verse 7 exposes the great lie that man is able to pick himself up by his own bootstraps, and man can do all kinds of good works which are able to impress God and get God to save him. Those are lies. Those are great lies. And that word found in verse 7 exposes those lies, brings out the great truth. Now, verse um, 8, so after the angel of the Lord, who we know was the Lord Jesus Christ, and so after he found Hagar, what we see in verse 8 is that he addresses her with her proper title. Notice it says, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Now, let's put ourselves for a minute here in Hagar's position. It's by the grace of God that Hagar was taken out of a life in Egypt where she was surrounded by false gods. The chapter that was a chapter in Hagar's life when she was in Egypt, and that was a dark chapter in her life where all she saw around her was the exaltation of man. She saw the pride of man. She saw the promotion of Pharaoh as a direct descendant of the sun god. And that chapter in Hagar's life where she lived in Egypt, there were gods that so angered the Lord that when he brought the 10 plagues on Egypt to bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said that he was actually executing judgment on their gods. That's what he said in Exodus 12, 12, when he said, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. So Hagar, in this dark chapter in her life when she lived in Egypt, she was living in a place that was provoking God. She was living in a place that was making God angry. And in her past life in Egypt, Hagar was living in the middle of all those false gods that God was getting to the point where he was boiling over and he's about to execute judgment against all those gods. So in that chapter of Hagar's life in Egypt, Hagar was surrounded by all this idolatry and she was living in the midst of places evidently where there were houses of these false gods. And they're referred to in Jeremiah 43, 12, where God says, and I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt. And later in the next verse in Jeremiah 43, 13, God says, and he shall break also the images of Beth Shemesh that is in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians shall he burn with fire. So this was the chapter in Hagar's life where she lived in Egypt, where she was in the middle of all this. And she walked down the streets there in Egypt. She saw those houses of the gods. She saw the idols. She smelled the incense. There was incense, a certain incense that was used to burn to those gods. God said that those who burned incense to those gods in Egypt, he said they cut themselves off from God and they made themselves a curse and a reproach. 
And Jeremiah speaks about that also in Jeremiah 44, 8, where he said, In that ye provoke me unto wrath with the works of your hands, burning incense unto other gods in the land of Egypt, whither ye be gone to dwell, that ye might cut yourselves off, and ye might be a curse and a reproach. So this was the chapter in Hagar's life in Egypt. It was a chapter in Hagar's life where in Egypt that was a chapter of a life of darkness, was a life of idolatry, it was a life of cutting herself off with the crowd, cutting herself off from God. And in this Egypt chapter in Hagar's life, every time Hagar walked into one of those houses of the Egyptian gods to worship along with the other Egyptians, In this Egypt chapter in Hagar's life, every time Hagar burned incense to one of those Egyptian gods, along with the rest of the Egyptians, she wasn't out of place. In this Egypt chapter of Hagar's life, every time Hagar bent her knees or bowed herself to one of those Egyptian idols, along with all the Egyptians... In this Egypt chapter in Hagar's life, every time Hagar asked one of those Egyptian idols to help her, along with all the rest of the Egyptians, every time she trusted in one of those Egyptian idols, along with all the rest of the Egyptians that were doing all that as well, every time she did one of those things in Egypt, in this chapter of her life, Hagar was hardening her heart against the constant light of creation, which she had, and the light of her own conscience that were just screaming out to her, inside of her, no, this is wrong. God is not a piece of stone. He's not a piece of carved wood. But every time Hagar did one of those things in Egypt, in that chapter in her life, she did what's described by one word. And you might want to turn to this in Romans 2.5. There's one word, which is very interesting, in Romans 2.5 that describes what every lost person does. But we're thinking about Hagar here. In Romans 2, 5, 5 and 6, Romans 2, 5 and 6, it describes this about a lost person. It says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyselves wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. See, what Hagar did in Egypt in that chapter in her life is that whenever she did one of those things that we talked about there, she is described by this one word in Romans 2.5, and it's the word treasurist, treasurist. Now, it's an interesting word. First of all, it's not an English word. (laughs) You won't find it in any dictionary because I don't know where it came from. I think the King James translators made it up. (laughs) But it's not a bad word, even though it's not in our dictionaries. In fact, it's a great word because the Greek word that Paul used here for treasurist is the word thesarizo, and which comes from the Greek word thesaros, which is where we get our word treasure from. So it really means to treasure. There is no word to treasure, but anyway, that's what it means. I treasure, you treasure. No, it doesn't. Anyway, it means to make a deposit or it means to store away. You know, as, as I was preparing the study at home, and my wife, you know, this door is behind me, and my wife opens the door to the study, and so I kept working, you know, because I only speak when I'm spoken to. <laughs> and I was waiting for her to speak to me. <laughs> and so I was just sitting there, but she didn't say anything. And so I'm waiting, and, and then I heard a few 
coins drop into the piggy bank, which is in the study seat. And then she shut the door, you know? And so and she didn't want to say anything to me. She just came in to drop a few coins in our piggy bank, which we keep in the study. So I was thinking about our piggy bank, you know, especially this word, because we used to throw all of our loose coins into this one drawer, but that was kind of like you'd open the drawer and coins would be all over the place. And so my wife came home one day with a nice piggy bank. And she told me that from now on, we needed to drop every loose coin in the piggy bank. See? And so from that day, we had this new practice in our home. So ever since that, we brought home that piggy bank. Whenever we have a coin, or, we drop it in the piggy bank. And now our drawer is all neat and tidy, see, because we have the piggy bank. <laughs> So we, we drop it in there, and, and we go there, and like she did last night, and we drop in the coins. We forget about it, and we just keep dropping those coins in the piggy bank and, and just keep forgetting about it. About every three or four months, then we pick up the piggy bank. It's, it's full, you know? So we take, pick up the piggy bank, and we're surprised, you know, how heavy it is. And, and then we, the little piggy bank's got a little, you know, door on the bottom, and we open the door, and we shake out all the coins and, you know, spread them all out and get the little... Uh, anyways, because she's not going to spend 6% down at Vaughn's, not my wife. <laughs> so they start the going, we're going to save that money and we're going to have to put them in little pouches. But it's always a surprise to us when this happens. How in the world did we get this more than $100 in coins? Because we just go in there and drop these coins in there and we forget about it. Every time we drop a few coins in the piggy bank, we are, we are thesarizo, see? or treasuring up, and then we forget about it. And we just drop a few coins in there, and we're making a deposit. We're storing it away, and then we forget about it. And then we empty the piggy bank, we're surprised. Wow, you know, we really treasured up or deposited or stored away a lot of money over time that we forgot about, and we were treasuring unto ourselves money. That's the picture behind this word that Paul has used. Paul is not talking about treasuring up money in a piggy bank against the day when we need money and we got to open the piggy bank, but we can understand the impact of Paul's, what he's saying here by this word, when we consider that instead of money into a piggy bank for when it's emptied out, we see that in this verse is talking about sin that's being treasured up. So like a coin that's dropped in the piggy bank, a little deposit, you know, so each little sin is like a little deposit or it goes on to an entry on a ledger sheet that's forgotten about and like dropping in a coin in the piggy bank and then forgetting about it. So each little sin is deposited away and forgotten about. And like all the coins in the piggy bank, they just keep adding up without us even knowing it. And so all those sins that have been done just keep adding up in a person's life without them knowing about it because they forget about it. And then there's one day when the piggy bank is emptied and, and we all see how much we've dropped in over time. And so for the lost, there's going to be one day when all those sins that they've done and they've forgotten about will all be brought up in the open. And that day is called, it's got a name here in Romans 2.5. It's called the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And so like there's a surprise when the piggy bank is empty, there'll be a, there's a great surprise on the part of the lost when they see that each sin that they did and forgot about, it all comes out in the open at one time. 
And that's the picture behind this word that he's used here, treacherous. We have treasures. So on that day, the lost is going to see that every sinful thought and every sinful act and every sinful word that at the time was painful, but it was done and it was forgotten about, it will all be brought out in full color on the day of wrath. And on that day, when all those sins that have been, all those sins that have been treasured up, against that day, and they're all brought out, there'll be what's called here the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. But for the saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, each one of those sins that they've done, that's written on it immediately, paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the saved are saved from that day of wrath and the righteous revelation of the revelation of the righteous judgment of God because having gotten under the umbrella of God's protection, having accepted the Lamb of God, which takes away their sins, so that's what happens for the saved. But every time in this chapter in Hagar's life, every time she did one of those things in Egypt we talked about in this chapter in her life, Hagar was treasuring up unto herself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. So the chapter in Hagar's life in Egypt was the chapter was filled with Hagar just storing up and depositing one sin after another until she'd amassed, like any lost person, this terrible treasure of sins. And that chapter in Hagar's life was like the chapter in our lives of what our lives were like before we came to know and be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because like Hagar, we just continued along also in our life. Hagar followed the Egyptians, we went with the crowd. And it was just one terrible sin after another, a terrible, another, one terrible sinful thought, another terrible sinful word, another terrible sinful act. And after each one, Hagar and we, we said the same thing. Right now, I feel terrible for what I thought or what I said or what I did, but just give it some time. Just give it some time. Time will heal it all. With time, I'll be able to forget it, move on. And we thought that just by giving it time to forget it, just by closing our eyes to what we did, just by forgetting what we did, that all of our sins would just vanish away. But that's not true. And like Hagar, we had no idea that with each sin, we were making another deposit, another treasuring into our own personal terrible treasure of all of our sins that we were collecting for our own personal day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who would render to every man according to his deeds. Then one day, in a very surprising series of strange events, Hagar found herself in this new family. All of a sudden, Hagar is now a part of Abraham's family as Sarah's maid. And this started for Hagar a new chapter in her life. And in this chapter in Hagar's life of Abraham's family, Hagar is now in the light. She's not in the darkness, she's in the light. She has learned in this chapter, being now in Abraham's family, just how sinful her past really was when she lived in Egypt. And in Abraham's family now, Hagar has learned that she was a great sinner and that she needed a great savior. 
And in Abraham's family, Hagar has learned that God is a great savior. And in Abraham's family, Hagar has now learned that God requires the shedding of blood in order for there to be an atonement for sins. And in Abraham's family, Hagar has now learned how you trust God, how you pray to God, how you trust God for the forgiveness of your sins through the blood that was symbolized by what Abraham called God himself will provide a lamb. And in Abraham's family, Hagar has learned how God is the God of life and he's the God of resurrection from the dead as Abraham had that confirmed conviction that God was able even to raise up Isaac from the dead. So in Abraham's family, Hagar is really in the light and she has gone from the chapter in her life in Egypt of darkness to this new chapter in her life in Abraham's family was to light. She had gone from darkness to light. And she didn't do anything. That's the amazing thing. You think about Hagar. She didn't do anything. She didn't, you know, so it wasn't as if Abraham's caravan arrives into Egypt and, you know, Hagar's, you know, hey, take me, take me. Oh, well, we don't know what happened. But she didn't do anything for that transaction to take place. It was just like with many of us. We didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, someone come, came into our lives and told us about the Lord Jesus Christ, what a terrible sinner we were and how all those sins in the past could be forgiven by him. You know, for me, it was Cheryl. I found the pretty girl. I learned that I found a far more beautiful savior. And like Hagar, I did nothing. And all of a sudden, a new chapter of light opens in my life where I was in the light. But in verse seven, a new chapter has opened in Hagar's life where she did not appreciate the light that she was in and she's run away from the light in Abraham's house and sitting by that fountain there in the middle of the wilderness, we see Hagar who is now afraid and she just doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to turn. She's confused. And in that state of mind, God finds her. And sometimes we're in this situation. That's why it's so valuable for us to look at it. Sometimes we're in the verse seven. We've allowed ourselves to sin and to separate ourselves from God. We've allowed some dark passion. Maybe like Hagar, we allowed the dark passion of pride and anger to get the best of us. And we said words that we wish we had not said. And those words have come in between us and God. And we're like Hagar, we feel, uh, we're out there in the wilderness and we feel so separated, like she did. We feel so alone, we feel so badly and we don't know what to do and we feel so wrong and we feel the damage that we've created and we're confused, like Hagar. And we just find ourselves like a Hagar sitting out all alone by some fountain of water having no idea what to do next. That's Hagar. And so now we see in verse eight, how God comes to rescue Hagar in her state. And what we see here is how God is going to restore Hagar. She's going to restore Hagar from where she fell. And in that restoration process, the first words that God says to Hagar in that situation is in verse 8, and it's where it says, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Those are the first words that Hagar hears from God. He says, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Her name, he hears, what does she hear? She hears her name and her title. You know, Hagar heard God call her by her name, 
And that was a wonderful feeling. You can imagine for Hagar. I mean, uh, she thought, God just called me by my name. God called my name. That means he knows me. God just called me by my name. That means he sees the state, the desperate state I'm in right now. God just called me by my name. That means he cares for me. He wants to help me. It's such an encouragement to Hagar to hear God call her name. And then God says to Hagar her title. says, Hagar, Sarai's maid. Now, why did God say that? Why did he say, Hagar, Sarai's maid? You know, was it because there were a lot of people out there, several Hagars? <laughs> Make sure we got the right Hagar. I mean, the Hagar, Sarai's maid, please step forward. You know, it wasn't like that at all. Because she's the only one there. So, you know, God didn't say, Hagar, Sarah's maid, to make sure that, you know, got the right one. God called out, Hagar, Sarah's maid, because that was the first step back for Hagar on her road to restoration. When God called out, Hagar, Sarah's maid, what's important is what God did not call Hagar. You know, God did not say to Hagar, Hagar, Abraham's wife. But that's how Hagar was thinking of herself. She was thinking of herself as Abraham's wife. That was why Hagar despised Sarah, because Hagar had imagined herself to be a wife of Abraham, and as a matter of fact, the better wife, the more preferred wife, if you don't mind. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.